Okay, good morning and welcome today. Uh, pray that this uh, time of the year, Advent, is a blessing to you and your family as you prepare uh, for Christ's coming as a baby at Christmas. And as the early service people will uh, hopefully tell you, our Lord's return as well and the way that he continues to come to us uh, as we await uh, that final day. Okay, um, try not to pay attention to what my son is doing, messing around with technology. Okay, let's begin. The Lord be with you. Stir up our hearts, O Lord, to make ready the way of your only begotten Son, that by his coming we may be enabled to serve you with pure minds. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Okay, so we are finishing up uh, chapter uh, 6, I believe it is, correct? Yep, chapter 6, the sacrament of holy baptism. Uh, and this is uh, from our book, The Saving Truth Doctrine for Lay People, uh, by Reverend Dr. Kurt uh, Marquardt. Uh, last week, we, we kind of finished up, or the heart of our talk uh, was um, baptism of infants. We, we did kind of an overview of baptism in general, and uh, we saw four reasons for babies to be baptized, so let's just review those before we go on. Uh, number one, babies are included in what? Included in Christ's command. So, um, all goyim, um, all nations, babies are included amongst those uh, who should be baptized. Uh, two, babies need what? They need the very thing offered by baptism, okay? They need forgiveness of sins um, because our little baby's sinful. Yes, they are. And if you've had one, you know they're very selfish. They care only for themselves. Um, Jesus talks about uh, the little ones, padaya. We talked about that word in Greek, which means uh, a child that can be bounced upon the knee. And if anyone causes one of these little ones to sin, okay, to break the commandments, it'd be better for him to have a millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Okay? So little ones are able to sin. Um, and so that kind of shoots the whole age of accountability, that there is no sin until they get to a certain age, uh, really kind of shoots that out of the water. Uh, three babies also can have what? Faith, right? Besides poopy pants and all the other things that come along with babies, they can have faith. So faith is God's gift, um, and uh, we would simply say, and boy, probably 99%, maybe really, really close to 100% of all baptisms, faith already resides there because the Word of God has already come and planted that seed and done that work. Remember, faith receives the gifts that God gives, okay? Which is why baptism as well should normally be practiced and be done in a setting where that faith resides, right? So that's why Marquardt, kind of one of the tangents we went on was, well, what about in other churches that aren't Trinitarian or don't believe in Jesus? Is that a valid baptism? And, uh, you know, Marquardt kind of intoned, absolutely not. And I intoned, well, I'm not going to confine the Word of God. I'm going to let God deal with that. But we're certainly going to say that, that that faith is not there and that that's not the best place to do it. For that reason, we also typically do baptisms where? In church, where that faith is confessed, uh, normally those baptisms are done by those uh, uh, stewards, uh, those who are charged with overseeing that, the pastors. Uh, but of course, a baptism can be done any place, correct? Just the power of the Word of God. So thus, in your small catechism, there's a right for, uh, you know, lay baptism, if you will, or just emergency baptism is probably a better word for that, okay? 
Um, and there's one more reason um, that, uh, you know, babies should be baptized. Do you remember the fourth reason? It is the entry or the means by which now uh, children join with uh, the church, the New Testament people of God, the Old Testament people of God. So Marquardt likes to emphasize the, uh, the role of join, and, and I like to use this word, the, uh, joining a family, right? And for that reason, where your child is baptized in a church, that's where their what is? Come on, elders, you should know this one. Their membership is right? So, so normally, uh, if a child is baptized in a church, that child then goes on the rolls of that church, okay? Uh, which is why we as pastors, you know, if you come to us with, you know, your children and grandchildren aren't members here, and, and yeah, we want the kids baptized. Normally, we would encourage that baptism to take place where? In the home church. And of course, now with a lot of families, well, you know, my kids really don't have kind of a home church, you know, and We'll probably end up doing the baptism, and then we'll, we'll have the membership for that child on the rolls, but one of the things we'll work towards as pastors is getting that child's, quote, membership, and let's not get too bent out of shape with this, uh, but transferred over to a church. So that way there is a spiritual sale sorga, uh, there's a caretaker for that child's soul somewhere where they live, okay? There's a shepherd uh, for that family and for that child. Okay, any questions on those four reasons that we went through last week? From Marquardt, anything that you speak now or forever hold your peace? Okay. No, you're all good. Okay. Glad to hear it. Uh, the last paragraph before we get to the necessity of baptism. Okay. If you don't get that thing hooked up in five seconds, I want you to hardwire it. Okay. The last paragraph before the necessity of baptism, Marquardt wrote this. Christ established neither adult baptism nor infant baptism. He simply established baptism, right? So we don't do anything different with a baby, you know, a 10-year-old, a 20-year-old, a 60-year-old, or an 80-year-old. He simply established baptism. So how this sacred gift is to be applied and administered must be determined from what his authorized spokesmen, the inspired apostles and evangelists, teach about what baptism is and does. So proper baptismal practice cannot be deduced by a shallow and logistic reading of unexplained precedent from the book of Acts. It must flow from a believing appreciation of the New Testament's theology of baptism. Okay? So we want to be careful that we're not just, well, we're doing baptism because Jesus said so. Okay? There's a theology, there's a meaning behind that, and the Lord wants that taught as well. For the same reason... You know, one of the questions I asked as, as a young seminarian as we were first, you know, kind of learning some of these things, and I think I might have asked it at some point to one of my pastors, you know, why don't we just uh, fly some, uh, you know, C-130s, um, or what are the other tanker planes? Where's Silverberg? He's not here. The refueling planes, what are those? Those planes, yeah. Why don't we just fill them with water? And we'll, we can encircle the globe pretty well with those planes, and we'll just dump water, right? We'll just, we'll just get a fine mist, and we'll spray it. We'll make sure everyone's covered. I mean, they can do that for crop dusting. Everything's GPS, right? Whether you're in an airplane or whether you're in a tractor. Uh, and we'll make sure everybody is covered with water, and then we'll have a whole bunch of preachers on loudspeakers, right? Or we'll come up with an app that turns everybody's phone on at the same time, and you'll hear the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
And then everybody would be baptized. Right? And of course, why don't we do that? Why isn't that part of the mission effort of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod? Because you believe the Word of God does the work, right? You believe it's water in the Word. So why don't we just do that and then everybody will be baptized? Why don't we do that? Seems like a great mission effort to me. No takers on this one? Oh, yeah. So faith receives the gifts, right? Uh, and the Lord also has designed with baptism, uh, and this is, the, this is the family concept, right? Uh, so this is, you know, uh, there needs to be, you know, baptize and teach, so there needs to be follow-through, there needs to be oversight, where is the role of the shepherding, um, you know, and in, in, in the, other, the other sense of it, too, is, you know, what are the role of the parents or those who have authority, okay? Uh, there's, a, there's a lot there as well. So, so just doing it that way, the flying the tankers, would, would, would really go against everything else that Scripture speaks of, okay? So to be done within a family, there should be faith there. It should be a mutual faith that is confessed by the family, um, you know, by the family of believers, uh, by the church. Um, and so for the early church, the more you study that, I know you've had Dr. Just here, and, and if, he was here, he, if he was here today, he could talk for hours on this, about the importance you know, of, the, of the rite of initiation in terms of baptism and all the preparation that went into that with the early church. Same thing with receiving the Lord's Supper, Okay. Um, and, uh, and, and nowadays it's just kind of like a knee jerk reaction. And sometimes we fall into this as well. Um, it's just, it's just what we do (laughs) and and we don't really get into a lot of that. Um, and, and the danger would be, you know, looking at the Lord's supper in that way too. Okay. Any questions on that before we get into the necessity of baptism? Yes, ma'am. Mrs. K. Longworth. When you have to drag somebody else into your question... (laughs) <laughs> with what? Oh, my, my, don't call it my universal sprain. <laughs> don't, don't, let, don't let that get out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good point. Thank you for listening to my question, uh, because that would be another reason why, is that there's a name there, and you talk about the Lamb's Book of Life, Right? Um, you know, and you have the other things that go along if you look at the rite of holy baptism. What else, what precedes the rite of baptism historically? And it's still in our hymnals, not as specific. What precedes the, the exorcism of the evil spirit within the child? Okay? So we, we've, we've, we, we have uh, sugar-coated it now just to kind of a renunciation of the devil but originally the understanding up through Luther's time was this, this was literally this child, you know, its, it's, it's earthly father, spiritual father is the devil, just as Jesus talks to his disciples. So there's original sinful nature there. And so now, you know, uh, make room, ye unclean spirit, for the Holy Spirit. I adjure you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to come out of this child. Three times that would be said. And that was understood now that the power of the Word of God was now uh, casting authority over the sinful nature, the devil, and evil spirit. Okay? Um, and uh, so, so now we've just said, do you renounce the devil? Do you renounce his ways? Do you renounce all his works? You know, which, yeah, I mean, kind of renounce them, but it's kind of lost a little bit of its teeth, I, I would submit. 
you know. Um, but we also have the challenge in our culture and within our church culture, you know, of, you know, <laughs> of, of, of perhaps some catechesis that needs to take place again. Pastor Ullman, feel free to jump in here anytime, <laughs> along with any of our other pastors that are present, uh, in terms of speaking very clearly what the Word of God is actually doing, right? So it's not just us renouncing, it's the Word of God that is casting out now uh, the evil and the sinful nature of that, okay? So I remember when I, when I was, you know, when you're a seminary and you're so smart and you find things that, uh, and I was just on campus on Friday and I had lunch with some first and second year seminarians and I was like, I was exactly like that. I thought I was, I thought I was just the bee's knees and, you know, so here they're talking with a pastor at a table and there were a couple of us and uh, obviously I'm, I'm, you know, fairly seasoned now, but the other gentleman I was having uh, lunch with you know, I had retired from, from, you know, 35 years in the parish and way more seasoned and experienced than I was. And so we're sitting around with the seminarians and, and, uh, and of course, they're, they're just on whatever tangent they're kind of on. It's fun, it's fun to watch, right? Um, and uh, oh, why was I telling that story? Um, it, you know, you're just, you're just so sure. Oh, oh, I know what it was. So, so when, our, when our oldest son, Malachi, uh, was was baptized when he was born. I had come across Luther's baptismal rite of 1519. Help me out, pastors and historians. Was it 1519, 1521? It was his first baptismal rite, and it had it had a basically those words with the exorcism in it. And so I go to Pastor Spomer. He's retired now, and I said, "Oh, Pastor Spomer." We need to change all of our baptisms and our hymnals. And, and I, I came across this in some of my research for this class and this paper. And, and he was so patient with me. I look back now and I'm like, wow. Uh, you know, and I asked him, I said, could we use Luther's baptismal rite for the baptism of our son? Right? Or I said, would you be willing to use it? Because we had him baptize. Uh, you know, we had, I always had the pastors uh, or the other. I baptized how many of our kids? All but, not the older two. Uh, so we let the pastors we were at baptize then, even though the pastors had asked me if I wanted to baptize them. Um, but, uh, but anyway, uh, and so he did like a Bible study on Luther's baptismal rite and then printed off copies of it and used it, you know, in the worship service. And uh, uh, anyway, okay, questions, comments? Oh, Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be very clear. You may or may not like what I have to say. You are not that child's parent. Um, you, you, you should not, uh, you know, <laughs> you really shouldn't do that um, because, because you, you've, you've not been given authority over the children in that way as a grandparent. Now, if, if you have custody, I mean, if you're kind of like the parents in that sense, right, that's different. But, but if, if, if they have parents, then what you need to do is you need to work on uh, teaching, on discussing, um, and obviously every case is a little different in that regards. You also need to have great faith, and Marquardt's going to get into this, that the Word of God creates faith. So, so these little children, even without receiving the wonderful gift of baptism, faith can still reside there. Got it? Um, and so we don't want to make baptism just this 
uh, Willy Wonka golden ticket. You understand what I'm saying? Um, God doesn't intend baptism to kind of work that way. Um, it's faith receives now the gifts and all these promises that go along with it. But, you know, there is salvation without baptism, or there can be, okay? It's not ideal in the best way, but I think the Lord set it up that way because you have situations where people would, you know, deny baptism or you don't have good parents that do their job, okay? Um, so faith even in the womb. Think of John the Baptist sleeping in his mama's belly, right, at the sound of Jesus. So, so, so there is, is faith there, and I continue to work towards that, hopefully once the kids get older. <laughs> so I would say once they get to like 18, <laughs> if they're not baptized yet, uh, then, yeah, <laughs> right? You know, th- then you can kind of maybe, you know, go, go after them a little bit more and hopefully, you know, teach and they'll understand and receive that gift at that point. So, and, and, and pray, pray that the Lord will do that. But don't, don't usurp the parents' authority would be the first thing I would say. I don't think that would be good. I told you the story of a, of a, of a man who uh, was raised Southern Baptist and uh, kind of became, they, technically they were members, but they really weren't members. They were still Baptist at my first church. And he became convinced that infant baptism was what Scripture taught. And so he baptized his daughters and never told his wife. And then he wanted me to swear that I would never tell her. Um, and I said, I can't, I can't do that. So you need to tell your wife. You shouldn't have baptized your daughters without talking to her. Now, you are the head of the house, so if you truly believe, you know, what you did, you know, because now we need to present these little girls to the congregation and acknowledge that they've been baptized. God doesn't design baptism to be something hidden in secret. It should be something that there is great joy over. You see that? So let's not twist it into something, you know, God's a God of order, not a God of chaos. God of light, not of darkness and secrets. Okay? Okay. And I will, I will pray for you, and, and there's many grandparents in that position. So if that's your case, you're not alone, and, uh, but take great comfort in what the Word of God does. Okay? Experienced, wiser pastors want to add anything on that front? Oh, okay. Thank you. All right, the necessity of baptism. The Lutheran Church confesses that baptism is necessary, and we'll talk about the definition of this word, for salvation. This assertion reflects statements such as, and let's read Mark 16, 16 together, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. I like shall. Let's do it again with shall. You ready? Whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved, right? And let's read John 3, 5. Unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, the necessity of baptism for salvation must not be taken to mean, however, that without the act of baptism, no one can possibly be saved, all right? So here he, here he comes, as I, as I warned you. Or for example, if someone were instructed with a baptism plan for Easter Sunday, but that person died as a believer during Holy Week, no one should doubt his salvation, right? So say there's a baptism you've got planned, you've been working with someone, um, you know, ahead of time, and uh, okay, all right. Um, our church's small called articles make the point, and let's read this together. Those who have come to faith before they were baptized came to their faith through the external word which preceded, right? So the word has come, and the external word there, uh, in terms of Scripture itself, now creates faith, okay? Um, And so when we would talk about um, baptism now, 
baptism does bring with it faith because it's the means of God. But as I made the point earlier, most baptisms, there's already faith there. If that child since conception has been anywhere around the Word of God, and the Word of God, keep in mind, is, is supernatural. It's not just linked to auditory. Okay, uh, So even, for example, um, uh, let's say you have a child uh, who is, is not able to hear, that is deaf. Does the Word of God still powerfully work in that way? Absolutely. Same thing with like the Lord's Supper, right? Even though they can't hear it. So say you have somebody who's, who's deaf and blind. They can't see the pastor speaking the words over the bread and the wine, nor can they hear the pastor. Okay? But is the body and blood of Jesus still there? So the, the, the power is there in the Word, right? So um, it's, it's the same Word that created the whole world into existence. My favorite Christmas song, I haven't heard it on the radio yet, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Only hippopotamus will do. I could sing the whole song to you and probably dance, not well. Um, but, uh, you know, and so with the little kids, you know, when I talk about creation, I mean, God said, let there be a hippopotamus. And poof, there's what? A hippopotamus. Let there be a giraffe. I mean, think of, think of all the, you know, when God spoke the world into creation, he did it through the power right? Uh, the, the didymus and exousia, the power and authority of his word alone. He didn't use anything else. He didn't have a Lincoln Log set or one of my favorite things. I don't even know if they still make them anymore. It was an erector set. Oh, I love my erector set with the motors and the batteries. And the only thing was the motors were so stinking slow, right? So you, you build a dragster and the dragster be like... It's like this, you know, it looks like it's going fast, but you know, nowadays our kids have really fast motors on things. Stinkers. Um, so, but the power of the Word of God now, He doesn't use other stuff to kind of build and design. He simply does it. So, same thing with baptism. Same thing with faith. Uh, it's supernatural. The power is in the Word of God. Uh, and keep in mind that that Word of God is now also given to you. Okay. So, uh, you know, as you share your faith as you give reason for the hope that lives within you, okay? And even more so, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The Word of God is at work, right? So, and that's why it's so important that, that the Word of Christ that lives within you and has been given to you, uh, that you share it in those ways, you know, where God has given you to share within your household uh, and other opportunities, okay? Now, that doesn't make you all pastors and all ministries, but ministers, but you're certainly all priests. See, that's the priesthood of all believers. And, and so, so, so the good works now that you're doing that God has prepared are, are just marvelous. So we certainly don't want to ignore those gifts, and we do want to talk about how God equips His church, you know, for good works out and about, okay? While well, at the same time still understanding external, internal how God has good order in the church and that sort of thing. Okay. Any questions before we move on to the next paragraph? Okay. You shaking your head no at me or no questions? Okay. Just checking. Okay. I see heads going like this. I'm like, what did I say? Okay. All right. Uh, consider a modern, and he loves, I like Marquardt, likes to, you know, and, and I didn't get to know him personally. Um, I mean, I had sat in on some lectures and that sort of thing. Um, but but if you've noticed so far in the book, you know he has all these kind of engineering type of he likes to talk about electricity. So he says this: consider a modern electrical analogy, and then I'll ask a couple of you to share your Christmas light stories with us if you have one. 
Anyone who's ever struggled with defective bulbs on strings of Christmas tree lights will avoid like the plague, the kind of strings on which all the lights go out if one of them fails. Raise your hand if you know exactly what that's about. Now put your hand down. Now raise your hand if you still have those lights at home. A few of us. Yeah, we haven't upgraded to the new LED, computer-controlled, pulsating, right? Uh, You know, and it's ridiculous. I was looking at some of the new stuff they have for lights. It is. You ever watch those Christmas light shows on, like, HGTV or the other ones? Uh, We haven't started doing that yet this year. Uh, It's pretty crazy what they've got, okay? So the problem is such lights are hooked up in series. The current can be broken by any bulb for all the others. Now, good strings are connected parallel. There, even if one bulb fails, the electricity still reaches all the others. You picking up what he's laying down? Now look at the connection he makes. We may think of the holy means of grace as connected parallel. The divine gift and blessing of forgiveness, life, and salvation remains the same in all the various forms in which the one gospel comes to us. So so hang on to this, your question about the grandkids. This kind of applies too. Okay, Whether we receive baptism, preaching, absolution, or the Holy Supper, say it with me, we get the same gospel content. Now I want to let that sink in. The same Jesus that came to you in your baptism is the same Jesus that comes to you when you read Scripture or when Scripture is read to you. The same Jesus that comes and absolves you of your sins through the mouth of your pastor or as you forgive each other. The same Jesus who comes in simple bread and simple wine as you receive the Lord's Supper. I mean, just, right? Otherwise, what happens is you pull one bulb out and nothing works. And the church has done that over the years. Or even nowadays, we've got this issue, and just even in the Missouri Synod, I can't believe we're even discussing and arguing about this. And you guys probably don't see and hear this about, you know, well, you know, you, don't, you only have all that if you've, got, if you've got pastors, or only the pastors do it. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is ridiculous. It's the Word of God. I mean, yeah, the pastors have their role, and, and that needs to you know, work, and there needs to be proper, and there's a difference between public and private. But, but let's not go one side or the other. I mean, it's the same Jesus, right? And so, you know, Marquardt, when he was at seminary, there, there were some, and, and I, don't use, I, don't, I want to be careful here with my terms, there were, there were some people that thought that he played a little too fast and loose with the Word of God, okay? So, so for some of, um, and not just the high church crowd, because it would go both ways, you know, that, oh, he's, just, he's too much on, on just the, the emphasis on the Word of God. And uh, I love that about the man, okay? Um, and so you've you got to be very careful that you don't confine the Word of God to ways and places that the Lord of God hasn't spoken very clear that that word is at work, okay? So you have that word in and with you through your baptism. You have that word in Scripture. Use that in your home, okay? Pray with your spouse. Pray with your children. Read Scripture. Come to church together. You know, live daily in your baptism. Receive the Lord's Supper. This, this is where, where he's emphasized with this. Okay, did I step off too much of an exit on the highway or are we good? Any questions? Don't take the, the, let the word of God be the Didymus and ecstasy first, okay? 
And then from there, it flows through means and offices and places, okay? Um, and, you know, we might need to reclaim a little bit of that, okay? All right. What else? You're all looking at me like, I have no idea what he just said. I'm just going to nod my head and let him get back to where he's going to go. Okay. So, nevertheless, next paragraph. Baptism remains the anchor or reference point for our entry into Christ. Faith, after all, deals not with a Christ in general, but with the Christ who gives himself in concrete words and acts of promise. Thus, faith looks to baptism as its source. Can you pull up Galatians 3.27 real quick? Okay. Um, faith does not look to various emotional experiences. Okay. So, so this is when I made a decision, or this is you know, when I you know, felt the Holy Spirit within me, or when I really felt like I was baptized, right? You have people kind of, you know, talk that way. Um, and, and you certainly are an emotional person, but when we talk about ascribing things to God uh, and giving credit to Him, uh, which if we're going to boast, we boast in the Lord, as the Apostle Paul says, never in ourself. So Galatians 3.27, let's read it together. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So very simply, baptism, name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you've put on Christ. And, 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 and that's why, you know, when we, we talked a couple of weeks ago, where the Word of God is, I mean, the Word of God can still create and do mighty things, right? Uh, and so we, we want that to normally be used and done within a household of faith, within a church that confesses all that. Um, but uh, someone come, can come to faith by just reading the Bible on their own. Do you believe that? Is that possible without a pastor, without another Christian? I believe that, okay? I, I love the Gideons. I love that they hand out Bibles. I really don't like that the majority of their Bibles tell you that the only way you can be saved is to pray the sinner's prayer that they'll print in the front or back of the Bibles. So when I have a Gideon come to talk to me, I say, okay, um, you print uh, the sinner's prayer in all these Bibles. Uh, do you have one that has a small catechism in it? And they're like, what? <laughs> I was like, well, well you're, you're shoving your theology on me. If we're just going to be about printing Bibles, let's just print Bibles. Let's just leave it at that and not add any of the other stuff to it. Right, and so that normally it really opens the door, or or they're just like, oh, he's one crazy pastor, um, you know. But yeah, I'm all about giving out Bibles, okay. And so you know, gladly support the Gideons if they're just going to give out general Bibles without any of the you know explanation and stuff in it. But because some, someone can come to faith through that, we believe that. So we we do want to work on those efforts, okay. Uh, oh, go go back to Galatians. I want to cover it just a little bit more. Can you pull it back up? Okay. Okay, so, so everybody who's been baptized has put on Christ. And, and let's see, because the Holy Spirit now through Paul emphasizes this further. And so I just want to make sure this is cemented for you. Let's read it together. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now the emphasis of this, and a lot of people misunderstand this text, and that's why we get into the grammar side of it, okay, is, is talking about, is the focus on the person or is the focus on what's being done in baptism? If you go back to 27, where's the focus? What, what's the subject that is, is, it's Christ, it's baptism. They've put on Christ. 
So, so the focus isn't on the person. The, 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 per, the, 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 the point is that you can have, you know, uh, Jew, Greek. So we talk about, you know, obviously race and ethnicity are completely different things, right? Slave nor free, social status, male nor female, gender, okay? You're all one in Christ Jesus. How and why? Because you're clothed with the same Jesus. Baptism does the same thing for everybody. Nod your heads. You got that? There aren't different types of baptisms, there's only one, and it results in being clothed with Jesus, okay? And look at where Paul goes. It's just beautiful. And if you're Christ, then you are Abram's offspring, heirs according to the promise, which is why we still read the Old Testament. All the stuff that was promised to, to Abraham, to the fathers of old, is yours. Put your hands to your face. I'm going to treat you like preschoolers and say, wow, that's all yours, Okay? And so there, there, there should be great joy for you as, you as you uncover some of those things and you recognize the wealth, right, the inheritance that you've been given and the hope of what's yet to come, okay? All right, questions or comments? Galatians is a marvelous book. How many of you have read Luther's, uh, uh, his lectures on Galatians besides the pastors? <laughs> no, never done that? We're going to do a Bible study on that. There's actually a couple new commentaries on, on that that have come out. Uh, and that's one of Luther's, uh, besides uh, a bondage of the will, um, the, uh, his, uh, his commentary on Galatians is just marvelous. A lot of food stuff there. That'd be like a two-year Bible study, but you're fine with that. Okay. Because we're about 12 months now on this one. All right. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Okay. All right. Let's get back to uh, here we are. Okay. Let me find my point here. All right. My eyes are getting so bad. All right. So nevertheless, baptism remains the anchor reference point. Similarly, middle of the paragraph, a faith that comes into existence before baptism looks forward to baptism and all that is given there. Okay? Um, and not only coming to an existence, but say a faith that can now express itself. Okay? Uh, or understand some of those basics. Right? A little baby... You know, the comprehension, the knowledge, the wisdom is, is, is not there yet. And that's the purpose of the teaching. So say if we've got an adult now, uh, 13, 20, 40, 60, 80, however old, um, then, then we teach. Uh, and now that uh, the faith is there, but it grasps these gifts. So faith can never say, I already have Christ through the word, therefore I do not need baptism. And unfortunately, that's what some Reformed Christians would say, right? Uh, either one, kids aren't really sinful, and so they're automatically included, uh, and if they die, they're automatically go to heaven because they're just children and they haven't reached the age of accountability, okay? Um, uh, or, you know, we don't really need baptism. It's just an outward sign or symbol, and they're not old enough, you know. They're not accountable yet. You know, they're not 18. Um, you know, we're struggling with our oldest is getting ready to turn 18, and, of course, we want to control his life because, is he in here? Because they're just not as smart as they think they are. Um, and, and even though they can die for their country and buy tobacco, um, you know, that, that doesn't mean that they're prepared to make sometimes all those decisions, right? And, of course, they, they think that money grows on trees. And uh, I, I better stop there. But, you know, you, you, you can look at this also in terms of spiritual gifts in the same way. So the immaturity then uh, that, that we can have or others can have spiritually instead of failing to recognize our fathers 
authority, our Father in heaven, and, and the gifts that he gives. Okay? So, also, no one desiring to have Christ for his Savior should ever be told, in your case, baptism is not necessary. Which is basically what a lot of churches will tell, <laughs> you know, children 13 and under. Baptism is not, it's not necessary. It's not needed. Okay? You're all good. You're either in automatically or, yep, you have faith. You don't really need baptism. It doesn't really do anything anyway. Okay? So this is what is meant by, in our Lutheran confessions, where he says baptism is necessary. Why? Because, Mrs. McKay, Christ commands it, and because of those four reasons we looked at. Right? So he's instituted. He's commanded it. Babies need it. All people need it are sinful, included in Christ's command. Um, it's the, you know, the right or the means, the order for being part of the family, being part of the church. Okay? However, if baptism, though desired, cannot be obtained, say for lack of water or lack of a person able and willing to baptize, no one will be lost on that account. Grandparents, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Okay? Not one will be lost. So you need to trust Christ's word in that regards too. So, so even if you know, your kids are not giving their kids you know, those gifts, you need to trust that the Lord desires uh, to save them and is still at work. The Holy Spirit is more powerful than you, Grandma and Grandpa. Okay? Don't put yourself into the position of the Holy Spirit. Okay. I'm going to stop kicking you in the butt, grandparents. But it, it's, it's all gospel, and you need, you need, to, be, you need to, to trust in, 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 in the Lord's work and, and continue to do that work. Okay? Okay, where am I at? Uh, so, however, if baptism, though desired, cannot be obtained, no one will be lost on that account. And that's where a proper understanding of the doctrine of election comes in. Which for us as Christians, the populace Zion, the people of Zion, that's a comforting doctrine. It's a wonderful gospel promise. Okay? Luther appeals to the Old Testament in which circumcision was to be administered on the eighth day. Yet babies who died before that day, therefore without circumcision, were never considered lost on that account. And if you go back a good little study, if you're struggling with this, go back to the story of, of uh, King David. Right? Uh, so King David... Uh, <laughs> He's kind of an SOB, if you know what I mean. I mean, he, he starts out as this kind of, kind of very, you know, uh, pristine little shepherd boy with the whole ruddy appearance, right? The type of guy that all the other guys hate because all the girls are looking at him. And, uh, you know, and, and he's, he's kind of just the, he's got everything, right? He's got the smarts and he's got the athletic ability. And uh, so long story short, you know, this, this handsome little David who's loved by everybody uh, ends up getting anointed, you know, to become king, right? Um, and he's a man after the Lord's heart, you know? And uh, he's just kind of that, that perfect person that drives you nuts at work and school and all the other in your family, right? They just can do no wrong. And then comes the fall from grace. <laughs> we find out that David is just as much of a sinner, okay? Which is the same, by the way, for all those other people that you might think about like that. David falls from grace and falls royally, okay? Um, commits adultery, has sex with a woman that is not his wife, uh, and in his lust for her, uh, ends up sending her husband to the front lines, and because he's the uh, authority in charge, basically kills Uriah. Okay, um, and uh, so long story short, his pastor comes to him and confronts him <laughs> with a story about uh, stealing a sheep, and uh, and 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 David repents. He repents, which is exactly remember the Christian life is life repentance. Okay. 
um, and he repents, and, uh, and he's forgiven, but there are yet repercussions from his sin. And one of the repercussions is that his child, now uh, the, the boy that he fathered uh, out of wedlock with Bathsheba, uh, will die. Okay? Um, and this is, this, is a, this is a really kind of interesting text. And uh, so, so God now takes the life of that child. David in his prayer in the Psalms, you know what David says? He acknowledges his sin and acknowledges God's righteousness, but he also acknowledges and believes that this child is with the Lord. A child who didn't have the opportunity to be circumcised on the eighth day, raised in the faith, or any of these things that the Lord now has rescued. Okay? And that's a wonderful assurance. So if you've ever struggled with you know, miscarriage, any of those things, it's a great text to turn to. Or you're just kind of looking at, um, you know, where, where, where and how, you know, God is at work. Good stuff. Okay. Questions, comments on that? Nothing. Okay. Uh, nevertheless, we have the responsibility to see to it that from our side, everything possible has been done to make baptism available. We may not trifle with it or make light of it. Christian parents must be taught to have their babies baptized as soon as possible. Okay? And not to wait just until it's convenient for some faraway relative to attend. In case of imminent danger uh, of death, any Christian present ought to administer emergency baptism. That's why it's in your catechisms. Okay? And now all of you have smartphones, so everything is at your fingertips. Okay? Um, if there is doubt whether the person to be baptized is dead or alive, he should be given the benefit of the doubt and thus be given baptism. Medical death and theological death are not the same. Many people are revived hours after medical death has occurred, which would not have been possible had they died, quote, theologically. Okay? Uh, sometimes people say, whether in effect or in these actual words, either Christ or baptism or either faith or baptism. These amount to false alternatives, though, right? False dichotomy. They are attempts, and not very clever ones, to suggest that a high understanding of baptism violates either Christ alone or faith alone. Of course, it is Christ alone who saves, but he has chosen to use baptism as a means. Let's read that sentence again together. Of course, it is Christ alone who saves, but he has chosen to use baptism as a means. Okay, so nor is there any competition at all between baptism and faith. Faith is God's, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> baptism is God's giving means, while faith is our taking means. Okay. We're out of time for today. Any closing comments? Good, good. Hope you learned a little something today. Uh, next week we'll finish up this chapter on baptism, and then after that we'll get into Sacrament of the Altar, Lord's Supper, uh, which will lead us uh, into some good discussion as well. A lot of people have questions still about closed communion and just fellowship and that sort of thing, and so we'll make sure we do that. Don't forget that for a lot of the basics, we have a new literature rack that we put in our narthex, and there's 27 or 29. They're small little pamphlets. Um, they're good for you if you need to review, but we kind of printed those so you can take those and share those with family members, with friends uh, that have simple questions on them. Um, they're actually written by uh, Dr. A.L. Berry. Actually, I'm not sure that he actually wrote most of them. Um, his advisor at the time is actually one of the readers for my dissertation, Reverend Dr. Ken Sherb. Uh, and uh, Ken, Ken wrote uh, a lot of those. Uh, so if you know Ken, uh, and they're well-worded and well-done. And uh, we'll be putting some other stuff out there down the road too. Okay, good, good. Let's stand and close with the Lord's Prayer.
Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.